Well, good morning, everyone. Sorry our little intro video didn't work for sound, so you have to let me interrupt all your conversations. But um, hey, it's good to see you guys. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake Box, and I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. And uh, wanted to say that last week we had our little men's retreat. It was awesome, and I could go on and on about it. And if you're a guy and you didn't come, I could try to really make you feel bad about missing out, and you should feel bad because it was, it was life-changing. It was fantastic. But uh, we had a great time. But I also wanted to say thanks to all the people who made uh, Sunday morning worship happen last week while so many of the guys were gone. Uh, I wanted to say thanks to all of y'all. Y'all really uh, served our church well, and, and I heard that Rob did a great job preaching for us. And Really appreciate him. So anyways, uh, good, good weekend last weekend and looking forward to our time together today. I also want to just reiterate one more time, um, the saturate fast, what I would ask you guys to do today is to commit that you're going to do the fast. Okay. Just think about it. Just personally, like right now where you sit, decide, am I going to do that or am I not going to do that? And Decide you are going to do it, okay? That's, that would be my encouragement to you. And then you can figure out this week, this is the week for you to decide what you're going to fast from and fast for, all right? So that next Sunday, you're hitting the ground running. So don't wait till next Sunday to decide if you're doing it and what you're going to fast from. Decide that this week. Decide right now, okay? And it's going to be a really great time together. Well, uh, today we're going to continue our series from the Old Testament book of Malachi that we've been in the last few weeks, though we took a break last Sunday. And we're studying this book because as a church, we really want to help each other grow as worshipers of God, to grow as people who love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we're studying this book because the the message of Malachi will help us grow as worshipers of God. In fact, there's two key principles that we see in Malachi that will, you know, reinforce our worship for God, help us grow as worshipers of God. The first is this, just kind of as a way of a recap, because I know we took a break from this last week. So here's the first principle. We love God in response to his love for us. Not to get him to love us, but in response to his love for us. We love and worship God in response to his love for us. Remember how how uh, Malachi began? Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. Like right out of the gate, that's God's message to his people. I have loved you, meaning I have loved you, I love you, I will always love you. It's this faithful love, the loyal love of God that he announces. And if you remember, like in, if you've been tracking with us in the series so far, and you're definitely going to see it today, the people of Israel, they were, <laughs> they were not loving God. They were not worshiping God. They had walked away from God. They had rejected God. They had turned their back on God. And yet God begins with, I have loved you. And it's because, as 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. That's what causes, that's what compels our love for him. That's so important for you to see. If you're going to grow as a worshiper of God, it begins by first recognizing God's incredible love for you. That's the message of Malachi. Second message from Malachi is this. That for us to love God, to worship God, that is really tied to what we do or how we obey God. That we express our love and worship for God, not simply or even as much by what we say or how we feel, but really by what we do. And so throughout Malachi, God is calling his people to obey him. To, to do something as worshipers of him, 
as people who love him. So authentic worship and love for God is expressed by what we do. As Jesus would say in John chapter 14, and repeats it over and over again, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And that message comes through strongly in the book of Malachi. So those are the two things we want to help us grow in as worshipers of God. We got to first see it's God who loves us that compels our worship. And then we express our worship ultimately by our obedience to God. And in today's passage, we're going to see God call his people to obey him in a specific way. And that specific way is by being faithful. Specifically to be faithful to him, but even more, he stresses, to be faithful to one another. In fact, the reason (laughs) that he has to call them to be faithful is because, you know, no surprise here, they were not being faithful. So (laughs) he has to say, be faithful. But Man, God, through the prophet Malachi, he just hammers that home. In fact, in the seven verses we're going to look at, we'll be in Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, if you want to go ahead and go there. But the, these seven verses we're going to look at today, you're going to see that, that repeated five times is the Hebrew word for unfaithful. It's the word begod. And that word, it literally means to, 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 to deal treacherously or to deal deceitfully or to, you know, to be unfaithful. And five times in these seven verses, God says, you're being unfaithful. You're dealing deceitfully. You're dealing treacherous, treacherously with one another. And he says, cut it out. You know, love me. I have loved you. Love me by being faithful. And he calls out their unfaithfulness three different types, three different, relationally unf- three different ways they're being relationally unfaithful. In fact, let me just read it for us. And I'll point those out to you as we begin this morning. Uh, So Malachi chapter 2, verse 10 begins this way. It says, Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Then why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being, here it is first time, unfaithful to one another? Now let me stop here and just point out, this is the first reference, first call out of unfaithfulness, and this is a, a, God is calling them out for a general community unfaithfulness. That he's saying the people of Israel, this community, is being unfaithful to one another. So this would look like friends stabbing each other in the back, co-workers cheating on each other, uh, uh, employees uh, dealing treacherously with their, empl- their, their <laughs> employer or vice versa, employer with their employees. Like in the, in the nation of Israel, the community of Israel, that's the one another. They are dealing deceitfully with one another, not being loyal to each other taking advantage of one another, lying to one another, breaking promises to one another. Okay, that's the first, first way. And then it goes on, verse 11. It says, Judah, which Judah is not a person, that's the southern kingdom of Israel, it's still talking to the people of Israel, it says, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. So again, Malachi calls them out for their unfaithfulness, but this is a different type of unfaithfulness. If you can follow along here, it's maybe a little confusing what's going on, but what's happening is that the, the, the men of Judah are uh, going off and they're, they're marrying women that worship other gods. 
And God had strictly forbidden this in, in, in the Old Testament law. I mean, think there's a number of places. For one example, if you want to look it up, Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4 would be a place where you see God just clearly say, you, you're not allowed to worship people who worship, uh, marry people who worship another God. And guys, just to be clear, this had nothing to do with ethnicity or race, like that you can't marry outside of that. that. This is all about who they worship. And God says, you cannot marry people who worship another God. And the reason he had this law is because God, as our father, cares about us, his children. And he knows that if we marry someone who worships another God, we are highly susceptible to be swayed to quit worshiping the true God and begin worshiping their God. And so as a hedge protection, as this law, he says, don't, don't do it. Don't marry anyone who worships another God than me. And yet here it is. They, they are being unfaithful to God's law, which makes them susceptible to be unfaithful to God altogether. And God says, it's not all right. Get more to, into that in a second. So keep going. There's, that's the second way they're being unfaithful. And then the third says this, verse 13. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? Well, it's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. So what's the... Third type of unfaithfulness that's rampant throughout Israel. Marital unfaithfulness, right? Divorcing their wives, uh, abandoning them, breaking their covenant, their promises to one another. And God is calling them out for that, right? You feel that? Like this is not a happy passage. God's not saying, hey, you know, you, there's a couple areas you should work on. <laughs> you say, no, no, this is, this, is, this is not okay. General unfaithfulness amongst the people, unfaithfulness to my law that could lead to unfaithfulness to me, and then unfaithfulness, marital unfaithfulness. It's just, it's not all right. And I'm not going to deal with it lightly. And guys, I just want to, you know, make this observation. The reason that God doesn't deal with unfaithfulness lightly uh, well, there's many reasons, but one of them is because God is a perfect father. And he is his father. He loves us. And he looks out for his children and he wants to help us, like, have joy and, and have peace. And guys, what destroys that so quickly is when we're unfaithful to one another. And so it's amazing, like it's so significant how strongly God stresses this in Scripture that what he wants us to do is to love one another. 
What he wants us to do is to be faithful to one another. Like, I mean, just to, just to drive this home, many of you are familiar with this, but as a reminder, like remember when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's he say? Well, this is it, Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. But he can't stop there, right? He, he has to keep going. He says, well, and the second is like it. Like, it's just so linked. I can't just give you one. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says that, that all of the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. Like, if you're going to sum everything up, you can do it right there. Now, that's a strong statement, how important it is for us to love one another. But you know what's wild? If you keep reading the New Testament, you see that the Apostle Paul and then James, the brother of Jesus, they take it even a step further in summarizing the, the law. In fact, one place Paul says this is in Galatians 5.14. It says this, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You think, it, it, love your Lord your God with all your heart. Soul. But he says, no, you can sum it all up in this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then James, as I said, he, he, he does the same thing. He says in James 2.8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Like, this is the royal law. If you can do this, you're doing right. If you say, okay, Jesus, I know you said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, but you got a lot of commands, Jesus. So like, what, which, like, can you narrow it down? Because you sum it up for me. Scripture's answer to that question is, yeah, here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, just do this. Love your neighbor as yourself. You'll be doing right, as James says. Because God really cares about how we treat one another that we would be faithful to one another, that we would not deal treacherously with one another, we wouldn't break promises to one another, we wouldn't stab each other in the back, we wouldn't cheat on one another, we wouldn't abandon one another. No, instead we would love each other loyally, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And God, again, has many reasons why this is so important. But one of them that I would stress this morning is this. <laughs> He's our Father. He cares about us. And He knows that when we put our own interests ahead of another, and we choose to serve me and make others serve me instead of me serving others, instead of me keeping my promises, instead of me treating them kindly and loyally, but instead of just doing whatever I want, He knows those kind of decisions, they wreak havoc on relationships. They wreck whole communities in some cases. In college, in college I was part of a church. I just love this church. Um, the pastor of that church uh, discipled me, really had a huge impact on me. But when I had graduated, I was a year out of college, I got a call uh, that that pastor uh, had had an affair, cheated on his wife, left his family, and run off with another woman. And guys, as you can imagine, like, th like the devastation of that unfaithfulness. It just, I mean, it wreaked havoc on his family, of course. 
but also on his church and also on that community and also all the people who used to be a part of that church like me. I was not even there any longer. And when I got that call, I just, I just wept. I was so mad. God, as our loving Father, He wants us to experience shalom, peace, joy as He intended it. And it's hard to imagine anything that wreaks havoc on that more than unfaithfulness. If we had the time and we had enough Kleenex, we could pass a microphone down the road, row to row, and hear story after story of people's own stories of being abandoned. Stabbed in the back, dealt with treacherously. And we would hear stories of parents divorcing. We'd hear stories of, of uh, spouses cheating on one another. We'd hear stories of being abandoned by your friends, being used by somebody. Because God hates that. He's against that. With the Father's heart, he calls us to be faithful. But hear this. No one sets out to be unfaithful. I mean, no one gets into a relationship with a friend or a work, co-worker or employer or a spouse with the intention of saying, okay, one day I'm going to really mess you up. I'm going to abandon you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to cheat on you. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to use you. I mean, other than maybe like evil villains, right? I mean, you take evil villains out to the side and then everyone else. And it's like no one gets into with the plans of being unfaithful. And yet it happens, right? Far too often it happens. Why? Why, if we don't intend for it to happen, why would it happen? And why would it happen so often? And so what I love about this passage is stress two times in verse 15 and verse 16. At the end of God calling them out for their unfaithfulness, he says this. He says, be on guard. Be on your guard so you will not be unfaithful. Because the reason that we're unfaithful is because we, we've got stuff that ends up sneaking up and we don't see it coming and it causes us to do things we never intended to do. But we had, like, if we weren't on guard, it sends us down that path. Bobby was our speaker at our men's retreat. Uh, he was also my pastor growing up, guy to, one of the guys who discipled me, not the guy who had an affair, praise God. Um, and... Um, one of the things he would say often is this. He'd say, if Lucifer could become Satan, then any one of us can become a moral disaster. And if you're familiar with the story of Lucifer, Lucifer was one of the, the angels in the very holy of holies, the very presence of God. And then he became prideful, was cast down, becomes Satan. If, if the, someone who could stand in the very presence of God could fall, then who are we to think that we could not become a moral disaster. Because here's the truth. All of us, it's humbling truth, but I hope that you can hear this. And all of us are susceptible to becoming unfaithful. To becoming unfaithful friends, 
employees, employers, and spouses, and parents. Breaking our promises, dealing treasures. All of us are susceptible to that. And so this morning, what I want to do, point out the rest of this passage, is to say, like, here in this God's awesome word, what you find is not just the call to be on guard against unfaithfulness, but four things right here in this passage that will help us be on guard. Four things that, like, a good guard, what's he do? He, he, or she, she, she's like, looks out for things. She knows what to look out for. What He knows what to keep his eyes on. Well, here in this passage, we see four things that we can keep our eyes on. Four things we need to not lose sight of that will help us be faithful. So let's look at them together. How to guard against being coming unfaithful. The first thing is this. Don't lose sight of whose you are. Again, the guys in the men's retreat, this will sound familiar to you because we talked a lot about this. Don't lose sight of whose you are. But the reason I bring it up is not because we talked about it in the men's retreat, but because this passage says this so clearly. See, in verse, verse 10, you remember how it began? What's he say? Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? And then later in verse 15, it says this. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And guys, one of the main things that will help you guard against unfaithfulness is if you were to remember this, whose you are. For when we lose sight of whose we are, we become so much more susceptible to behave contrary to who we are. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, you, who are you? You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. But when you forget whose you are, then you'll forget who you are. And that leads you to, like, it, it's one of the main things that can lead you down the road of unfaithfulness make you more susceptible to being unfaithful. Because here's this. When, when you know whose you are, then you recognize with reverent, reverential fear and joy that you don't call the shots of your life. God does. He's your master. He's your father as we heard in Malachi earlier. You belong to him in body and spirit. And so you, you don't get to just like decide you're the most important person in the room and therefore you can treat people however you want to treat them. You're not the most important person in the family and so you can do whatever you want to do and you're not the most important person in your marriage or in your friendships. But you say, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm accountable to God. I'm his child. He's my father. Let me live in light of whose I am. And then in this passage, these questions in verse 10, God is saying, okay, have you forgotten who we are? You know, it's really plural in verse 10. And, and the, the truth is, is when you live in light of whose you are, you also are mindful of who who's everyone else is. <laughs> The people that you are hurting and being disloyal to and, and being unfaithful to, like, 
They're not roadblocks on your way to getting what you want. They're actually the children of God with incredible dignity and worth. And when you live in light of whose you are and whose we are, that is such a check in your spirit to help you to not be unfaithful. It reinforces faithfulness. Guys, it's so important that you know whose you are and whose we are. Do you know that? Do you live in light of that? You belong to God in body and spirit. He is your father. Okay, second thing we see here is that uh, that will help us guard against becoming unfaithful is this. If we don't lose sight of where life is found. If you don't lose sight of where life is found. Now, let me show you where I get this from the passage, right? We see it in two places. The first is in verse 10, the second part of it, where it says, Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Now, to understand what this, you know, what's behind this question, you got to understand what the covenant is that it's referring to. And the covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. It's the covenant that God made with Abraham and ultimately to Abraham's descendants. And in that covenant, God promised Abraham that I'm going to bless you, that I'm going to take care of you, that I'm going to prosper you, that there's, there's like, I've got you. I'm your life. I'm your hope. I have got you. And when Abraham and then his descendants would, would follow the children of Israel in this passage. When they say, okay, I'm living in light of that covenant, then I, I can trust God. He's got me. He's where life is found. He's where my hope is found. He's where blessing is found. But when you go outside of God to find life, to find joy, to find ultimate satisfaction, then you are what? You're profaning the covenant. You're saying, God, you can't come through for me. I got to go outside of you to find life. See, they were looking outside of God for life. When you do that, it leads to unfaithfulness. The other place you see that here is in verses 11 and 12, when God's calling the people of Judah, the men of Judah, out for marrying women who worship other gods. And in that passage, you think, okay, well, why were they doing that? Because, again, God had strictly prohibited that practice. All those men knew that God said, you're not allowed to do that. That is not okay. That's completely off limits. And yet they did it anyways. What would cause them to go outside of God, outside of God's will, to do that? Well, it's this. Robert Gallaty in his commentary in Malachi, he put it like this. He says, remember, the people had just returned to the promised land from being exiled in Babylon. They had been there for many years, and one of the quickest ways to secure wealth was to marry into a prestigious family. So they apparently ignored the precepts of God for personal profit and intermarried with pagan women for personal gain. See, why did they marry these women who worship other gods? Because it was going to be beneficial for them. And they felt like, okay, I got to look out for myself. And so I got to find life and satisfaction outside of God and his will. So I'm going to break his will and be unfaithful to God and so that I can get what I need, what I think is most important to get this money, to be able to take care of me. Guys, you see how this leads to unfaithfulness? See, if you believe life and joy is found outside of obeying God, you're going to be unfaithful to God. If you believe joy is found in dating someone, even if they don't love Jesus, you're going to still date them. Even if you believe, if you, if you believe the joy you want is found in the acceptance of a different friend group, you'll spurn your old friend group. If you believe life is found in getting a promotion, 
you'll be susceptible to breaking your word and cutting corners to get that job or to abandon your family at home too many nights of a week. If you begin to believe life is found outside of your marriage covenant, that's going to make you highly susceptible to being unfaithful to your wife and to your God. As where are you believing life is found? Tim Keller says, the main human problems, the main human problems are, often are that we misidentify what will make us happy. And we ask people and things to save us beyond their ability. And when they come up short, as they inevitably will, we will be tempted and many of us will abandon those things, those people, those relationships, in pursuit of something else, thinking that will be the thing that will give us the joy and satisfaction we're looking for. Even at the cost of breaking promises and covenants and relationships. But listen, if you are convinced that Jesus is life, then you will not look outside of him and his will for your ultimate joy and satisfaction. So when you believe Jesus, as he said in John 9 and 10, 10 verses 9 and 10, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And they will come in and go out and find pasture, meaning joyful satisfaction. See, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Friends, if you are convinced of that truth, then you will be faithful to God and to others because you know where life is found. And you will say along with King David in the Psalm 119.68, you are good. What you do is good. So teach me your decrees. Meaning, tell me what to do, God. Because where else am I going to go for life? Your life. So I just do what you say. And you see how that reinforces faithfulness. So let me ask, where do you believe life is found? So if it's, if it's anywhere other than God, then you are highly susceptible to becoming unfaithful. Be on guard, friends. Be on guard. Third thing that we see in this passage that help us be on guard is if we don't lose sight of the consequences of unfaithfulness. See, in this passage, God in his grace helps reinforce faithfulness and gives us a raw look at the consequences of, of unfaithfulness. I don't have time to look at all of them, but one that really sticks out clearly is when he says the man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should protect. Husbands, wives, look at this. Like, don't lose sight of the consequences of sin. Like, let, like if you care about your, your, your spouse, care about your husband, care about your wife, like, please let this cause you to be on guard. Cause you to say, it's so important that I remember whose I am. Cause you so important and be convinced that, like, yeah, Jesus is where life is found. Because when I stray, like, it will wreck her. It will hurt him. It will do violence to them. When I was in high school, I read a great book called The Purity Principle by Randy Alcorn. And in it, he talks about how he had this practice where he would just write out 
all of the foreseeable consequences that would come if he was unfaithful. And he would get very specific about what it would do to his wife, how it would make her feel, where it would put her in a financial state, what it would do, like just specific, what it would do for his kids, what it would do to his ministry, what it would do for those that he had served, what it would do to those who discipled. I mean, it's a long list. He shares it in the book, and you just read it, and you weep. I started that practice when I was in high school. On a yearly basis, I do it during my, I do a, a, a time away each year. Uh, I just update that list. And I can never do it without just weeping and pleading with God. God, would you keep me faithful? God, would you spare me from being unfaithful? Because it helps me be on guard. God also shares here about the consequences, not just of how it impacts, impacts our relationship with one another, but also our relationship with him. And he uses strong language here and how it impacts our relationship with him. Verses 11 and 12, he talks about how, he says, Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord, loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever they may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. God says, like, look, this will, this will do damage to my relationship with you. This will break fellowship between me and you. You bring offerings, I will not have anything of it. You can weep and you can wail in hopes that I will hear your prayers, but I'm turning a deaf ear to you for your unfaithfulness. In New Testament language, it says we will quench the spirit. We will grieve the spirit. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, we're told, Husbands, you live with your wife in an understanding way. Treat them as co-heirs of the grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, or else it will hinder your prayers. And honestly, I don't have the, 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 the knowledge, the understanding, the theological way to parse exactly what this looks like other than to say God is clear that our unfaithfulness to one another leads to a break of fellowship between us and God. Things are not good. And the more convinced that you are that God is life, the more that will help knowing that that consequence is true, that will reinforce you to want to be faithful. God distances himself from us for our unfaithfulness. Because look at the consequences. It will help you. Be faithful. It will help you be on guard. Final thing here is don't lose sight of God's faithfulness. Don't lose sight of God's faithfulness. And you know, think, okay, well, didn't you just say that if I'm unfaithful, then God's going to distance himself, break fellowship? Then, you know, how is that God being faithful? No, no, that is absolute God being faithful because I was very careful in choosing my words. Breaking in fellowship is not the same thing as breaking in relationship. See, when we sin in this way, God dis- distances himself. He, he hinders our prayers. I mean, he's, like there's a, there's a real consequence, but that consequence is not that you lose your salvation, that he is not your father. And that he's not still forever and faithfully loving you. That he's going to bring punishment. He's going to bring discipline 
to help bring you to repentance, but he is not going to forever abandon you. Think about what 2 Timothy 2, 13, 12 and 13 says. It says, if we disown him, talking about God, he will also disown us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. If we're unfaithful, the joy of knowing God, the intimacy of his presence will be withdrawn until we repent. However, all the while, relation with him or salvation is forever secure because as Romans 8, 38 and 39 proclaims, nothing in all of creation, which includes us and even our unfaithful acts, can separate us from the love of God that is, in, that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because you, you remember how Malachi began? I have loved you, says the Lord. He opened with that even though they were being unfaithful to him and to each other. So why would he open with that? Because it's consistent because he's faithful. He is unchanging as we sang before this, this message. He loves us with a faithful love, the same kind of love he calls us to have for him and each other. See, because God is in a covenant with us, his bride. We know that from Ephesians 5, but there is a pointer to that even in this passage in verse 16, where for the only time in the entire book of Malachi, God calls himself the God of Israel. And the reason that is significant is because that is God's covenantal name to the to, to his people Israel. He's using covenantal language. I'm the God of Israel. And he uses it here, and that's not, not, not coincidence. Like that's in context. It's because he's talking about marriage. And in the marriage covenant was always intended to reflect his covenant with his people. So he uses this covenantal language here to say, yes, by your unfaithfulness, the fellowship between us may be broken. And there may be exile, and there may be separation, there may be anger and tears, but the whole, when the whole story is told, the sum of the matter is I will be faithful to you, as Isaiah 54, 4 through 8 says. We'll read this together. It says, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called, for the Lord has called you like a wife, forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I forsook you as a result of your unfaithfulness, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing wrath, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Guys, our God is a faithful God, even when we are an unfaithful people. God will never nullify his marriage to his people. Christ will never forsake his bride, the church. He's a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. He's eternally faithful, loving us with his loyal love, even when it would require Jesus to come and live the faithful life that we were called to live but have all failed to do. He would come and he would die in our place to cover our unfaithfulness. As Ephesians 5 said, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The reason he could call unfaithful people like us holy and blameless is because he has made us so. He lived the faithful life we were called to live.
and that he has, in his death and our faith in him, we've inherited his righteousness, his faithfulness. And now, knowing the faithful love of God, we can be compelled to live faithful lives and even more so empowered by Christ in us to live faithful lives. May the faithfulness of our God help compel us and propel us to be faithful and to be on guard against unfaithfulness. Guys, there's so much in this passage I'd love to get, and so much more about marriage and covenant of marriage, so much more about, you know, what's that whole godly offsprings part of that, so much more about dating and, and, and why it's so important to date people who love Jesus and like I could get into that. I mean, there's so much more in this, but for now, here's what I want you to take away this morning. All of us, all of us are susceptible to being unfaithful. Unfaithful friends, unfaithful spouses, unfaithful people. And so let's be on guard. Let's be on guard by remembering whose we are, by knowing, being convinced where life is found, by looking at the foreseeable consequences of sin, of unfaithfulness, that it would deter us, and by remembering the faithfulness of our God. And we're going to end this morning by praising our faithful God and taking communion to help us fix our eyes on his faithfulness. And so as we invite everyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of your sins, to cover your sins, to make you faithful, you're welcome to come to the, the communion table. Remember his body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. That he would reconcile you, cover your unfaithfulness. May, as you take this, may you remember his faithfulness, may it compel you to live faithful lives with him. Heavenly Father, God, would you, would you protect us? God, your word is given right here to guard us, to help us guard against unfaithfulness, God, for our church. God, would you make us a faithful people, more faithful than we are currently? faithful to you and faithful to one another that we would love our neighbor as ourself and that we would love you our incredible faithful God God help us even now to guard against it as we fix our eyes on your faithfulness in Christ's name we pray Amen